If you have your Bibles with you this morning, <clears throat> please turn with me to Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. And it says, <clears throat> I have charged thee therefore before God <clears throat> and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away <clears throat> their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let's just bow and steady our hearts in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you once again to come into the presence of Almighty God. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Lord, that your word would be illuminated onto our hearts this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you, Lord, that it leads us and it guides us. Lord, that it teaches us about you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God, Lord, that we may know the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may know your ways. And Lord, this morning I pray, Lord, that we see again our Lord Jesus Christ in every word, in every sentence. Lord, because it is your word. Lord, hide me. Behind your beautiful self this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give me wisdom and bless, Lord, this mouth to speak the words of life unto your people. Lord, if there is anything that I have written down, Lord, that is not inspired by your Holy Spirit, then, Lord, just take it from me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will guide me and lead me into everything that I say this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
we always know how important things are, especially when we read these portions of Scripture. It's important because <clears throat> these are possibly some of the last words that have ever been written by the Apostle Paul before his death. And he's writing to Timothy and he's encouraging Timothy in the times that they're in because there were bad times. There were bad times for the church. Bad times in the sense of persecution, not bad times in the sense of the moving of the Holy Spirit and the power that they had. You see, at this time would have been about AD 66 when he was writing this and he would have been under the reign of an emperor called Nero. And Nero really, really went after the Christians. He really persecuted them with a zeal. And Paul's imprisonment this time wouldn't have been like his his previous imprisonment, which was more like a, a rented house. And he was under house arrest. Well, this time he was in a dungeon. He was cold, it was damp, and he's writing this to Timothy. You see, we forget at this point the condition, if you like, that Paul was in as he wrote this. People that said they were going to stick alongside him and be with him had left him. He was more or less on his own, and apart from Dr. Luke. And he was feeling all this, but still he writes this message to Timothy. This encouraging message, and he tells him, Timothy, hold on to that truth. Never let it go. Don't let anybody steal it from your heart. Because it's only that truth that will get you through them hardest of times. And you know, at times, things will happen in our lives, and it happens to many other people, and we just think, it's funny, I spoke about this just before the service. It was actually in my mind as well, but you think, where is God in all of this? Lord, where are you when these things happen? But the truth is, we face trials, we face the worst of times. How could you do it without him? I know I couldn't. I certainly couldn't. I'd have given up a long, long time ago. But it's amazing what the Lord and the strength that he gives people to endure. Just for a moment or two, I want to get into verse 7 a bit more. Because it's beautiful the way Paul structures even this very sentence. In 2 Timothy Timothy 4 and verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And it's actually quite funny because when you look at the way it's structured in the Greek, it actually gives it like this. It says, I have fought a good fight. And this refers to a wrestler. I have finished my course, refers to a runner. 
Now I have kept the faith refers to a soldier. And this is how he structures this verse to Timothy. So when we look at the first part, it says, I have fought. And this is a Greek word, agonizia. And Paul gives the idea, as I said, of this wrestler that he's got to fight multiple opponents. He's got to fight multiple opponents. But that now he is resting in victory after overcoming them. And the idea is that he's having a happy ending to his struggle. This is the idea of it. An ending to a, a strenuous activity. But he's happy that he's led a victorious life. And then when we look at a good. This is a Greek word. Kalos. Kalos means to be able or to be competent. It actually gives the idea of somebody who was very skillful, who was pleasing to look at, at what they were doing. So Paul's giving the idea of how he was overcoming, was pleasing to the Lord. It was pleasing to him. And the last word is fight, and it's agonal. And this gives the idea to contend, to grapple. It gives the idea of being in a big arena and fighting. But there was a great honour and prestige always upon the athletes in the games, in these Greek games that they would held. There was always a great honour and prestige in it. But it gives the idea is that there's no more of an honourable contest than that of a Christian life. There's nothing more honourable and there's no greater reward than at the end of a Christian struggle. That's that idea that it gives you that very first part. And it gives us the idea that we're going to be up against things. And even Paul uses this idea, same idea, in Ephesians 6 and 12. When Paul tells us, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So Paul gives us this beautiful illustration of what we're to come up against but how we are to overcome and that is the thing we must remember we are overcomers and if, if, if there's anything I want you to take from this message this morning is that we are overcomers not in our own strength but through his strength through what he has done so we move along to the second part of 2nd Timothy and 4 verse 7 and it says this I have finished my course this is the runner the runner finished in the Greek is telo and it gives a description of somebody who has been a long distance runner have run for a long long time but now they've done their best and now they're, they're resting at the finish line And course 
is a Greek word, dromonos. And this gives the idea of a runner that's on the athletics track, but he's strived and he's done his best to stay in his lane. The best that he could. He's kept his focus on the prize, which is this finish line. You see, even in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 and 5, Paul again gives us the illustration. Know you not that which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we incorruptible. He's saying, run your race. Do the very best you can. Because you see them runners out there that are running. Yeah, they're going to get a prize. But you know what? Years to come, it'll be nothing but the dust of the earth. You see, the prize that you're going to get, that's going to last forever. Paul's telling us to keep focused. And then the third part of this verse says, I have kept the faith. And this is the soldier. The word faith, <clears throat> oh sorry, the word kept in the Greek is tero. And it means to keep or guarding. And this is what a Greek scholar said about this word he says the faith here is the truth with which God had entrusted Paul and his work of safeguarding that truth is now at an end he had defended it against the agnostics the Judaizers, the philosophers of Athens he had laid it down at the feet of his captain he like a soldier who had grown old in the service of his country is now awaiting his discharge That's what he's doing. And even what he says to Timothy earlier on in chapter 2, in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So you notice here, Paul's saying, defend it, guard it, endure through all things because the Lord has something special. It's precious what we have and yet we take it so much for granted. I can tell you something. It never really dawns on me how precious a thing we have in the Lord Jesus Christ until sometimes you start to walk through the hospital wards. When you start to walk and you see sometimes some of the things that you see, especially when I think about my own father. When my own father was desperately ill and he had no hope. I think about that at times. But I saw the time towards his end when he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he got saved. There was such a difference. There was no fear on that man then. Now remember what he said to me. Because at first, when I became a Christian, he, boy, he made some fun of me. Like He really did. But you see, when he accepted the Lord, he just said, now I have what you have. Isn't it amazing? The preciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're really to get a real flow of this verse, I sort of pick this up as it would be in the real sort of Greek terms of verse 7. And listen to this. It says this, The desperate, straining, agonizing contest marked by its beauty of technique. I, like a wrestler, have fought to a finish and at present am resting in its victory. My race, like a runner, have finished and at present am resting at the goal. The faith committed to my care, I, like a soldier, have kept safely through everlasting vigilance. So there we start to get... The real meaning of that verse. And Paul gives us this illustration to contend. And Paul clearly, even though he's going through some terrible times himself, he's walking in victory, even in a prison cell. He's encouraging Timothy. He's overcoming. And the thing is, it always gets me. I used to look and and, and read the Bible and I used to think, how do they overcome How did they seem to walk in such a victorious life in everything that they do? I used to think, how did they get victory over the enemy? Turn with me, if you will, please, to James 4 and 7. Here was a verse that popped out at me. And just listen to this, what it says. It said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, sometimes we make things very complicated for ourselves, and they're actually quite simple. I believe there's so many Christians live in the day and age and I hear so much about the devils coming at them and I understand that. You know what we need to do? Submit ourselves to God. I mean not just part of us. I mean all of us. Now that's hard, isn't it? And I've said this many times before, you know, We love to quote that, oh, he's my Lord and Saviour. You know what, we like the Saviour bit, but we don't like the Lord bit. Because Saviour means that we've been saved. We've been saved from a lost eternity. Saviour means that he saved us from 
what we deserve. But he saved us from that. He saved us from that. And saviour means that we get to be in his kingdom. But Lord, now that's different. Lord gives the idea of a master. Lord gives the idea of somebody else that should adhere to his master's word or his commandments. So when we start to apply that to our own lives, and that's where we struggle, because there's always something. You know, you can have a lot of things in your lives and say, you know what, Lord, you can have this, you can have that, you can have the other, I'll give this up, I'll give that up, and that, you know what, and that's all great. But there might be one thing, that says, no, I'll just, no, I, 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 I like that thing too much. And that's the one thing the Lord says I want. And that's when it becomes difficult. That's when it becomes difficult. You also get this again in 1 John 5 and 18. If you want to just flip over to 1 John. It simply says this. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You see, now when he says born of God sinneth not, I think we all know what that is, but I'll just explain it. It doesn't mean that we are in a sinless perfection but it means that we shouldn't be in habitual sin. It means that we should be walking the best we can before our Lord. That's what it means. Because when we're born of God, then we should come under a conviction of what sin is and redirect our path. That's what it's given the idea of here. But notice it says, who keepeth himself. <clears throat> There's a responsibility. To every one of us. To keep ourselves. Just as Paul was saying about the runner. Staying in his lane. And keeping his eye. On the finish. That. Is our responsibility. And yet nowadays. More and more. We seem to be getting. These preachers. And, and, and they say you know well. Ah well you're okay. You know do what you want. You know oh it's all covered. It's under the blood. You know something? That is destroying people. And that is cheapening the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when the Lord shed his precious blood for you, when a spirit of God started to move on you to accept him, then brother, sister, there should have been a change. There should have been a change in your heart that you no longer wanted the things of the world. So my first point, submitting yourselves to God. That was the first thing that stood out on me that the disciples did when they were, trying, when they were overcoming. A second thing that stood out on me was renewing of the mind. Please, would you flip over to Romans 12 and verse 2, please.
And it says this, Be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that you're not renewing your mind to the world. You should be renewing your mind to the word of God, which starts to work in you and starts to change the way you think. This is what this is given the idea of. And henceforth, when this is starting to change the ways that we think, because when we think about it, we've been programmed in our way of thinking. The way we live our lives before we came to the Lord. And when we come to the Lord, yes, our heart gets changed, but our thinking, our thinking, now there's, there's a battlefield in itself. And that's why the word of God should be in our thoughts. Constantly mulling over the word of God. Then in Ephesians, if you flip over to Ephesians, chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 23. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Now listen to this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore put in away, lying speak, lying speak every man truth with his neighbour. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now look at this. Be Renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now let me tell you something. What's the difference between having your mind renewed or reading the word of God and being renewed in the spirit of your mind? Well, let me tell you something. If you read the word of God, that's good. And we should be. And yes, will it start to change your thought process? Absolutely. But renewing the spirit in the mind, now that's different. That's when you start to look at a verse. That's when you start to study a verse. That's when you start to pray about it. That's when you start to get revelation of it. Now let me give you an example of this. And this is where I think the church desperately needs to start operating. Because like many times, I heard something the other day by a a preacher called Lester Summerall. He's, he's, he used to preach on uh, healing and have mighty healing ministry. He preached with Smith Wigglesworth for many years. But he said this, and I always struggle with this. He said, I've seen many a man lay on a sick bed, quoting, by I'm stripes, I'm healed, and then died. He says, I could never figure that one out. He says, and then one day, as I was praying, the Lord took hold of me and said, you need to get the revelation. You need to get the revelation of it. And you see, this is it. We can come every Sunday. You can listen to me. You can listen to Pastor Ken, and that's good. It is good. And you'll hear scripture. But brother, sister, I can't give you the revelation of it. We have to get that for ourselves. 
And I have been praying to the Lord, start to give me revelation of your word. Because you see, when we get revelation of it, that's why we look back even at the old outpouring of Pentecost. And these men were walking in the signs and wonders of things. Why was that? And we we look now, we have the same baptism, we have the same access, we have the same everything. But the difference was, they had a revelation of it. They lived and breathed the word of God. They prayed about it. They cried on to Jesus Christ for it. When they seen the sick, they were there with the Bibles open. Lord, we need this. Then they got the revelation of it. Got the revelation of God's word. My third point is, they got the revelation of it is finished. When the Lord cried on the cross, it is finished. They got a revelation of that. Listen to this. John 19, verse 28 to 30. He says, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed and gave up the ghost. Now look at what it says knowing that all things were now accomplished. Not some things, all things. You see, it was finished, it means past, it means present, and it means future. It is finished. Everything, brother and sister, is finished. The devil is finished. The war's won. Where's the devil? Right under your feet. Well, that's where it should be. Because it's finished. You see, and when we start to see the disciples, they did something that maybe we don't really do. Listen to this. What it says in Mark 11 and 24. It says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now you see, when Peter was at the beautiful gate, you read about it that with the lame man. He'd just come out of prayer. Now Peter prayed for that man. And what did he do? He pulled him up. And as he pulled him up, it says his ankles received strength. You see, Peter wasn't praying. I'm trying to get something to him. He was praying. That's done. He's already healed. Get up. <laughs> Peter was acting in faith. Because you see, when he heard the cry, when he was told by the others, it is finished. Peter had already had the revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So when he was told it's finished, he just took it. Oh, it's done. It's paid for. Isaiah 53, it's done. When we think about it, brother and sister, We have mighty, mighty victory this morning. And we forget this. We have victory over death, hell and the grave. 
just got to give you a few verses. Revelation 1 and 18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Death has been defeated. The gates of hell have been defeated. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And through death he might destroy him that had power over death. That is who? The devil. And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject unto bondage. Do you hear that? He gave us victory over the devil and everybody that lived. The one thing that they could not get victory over of was death. It didn't matter how rich they were, how powerful they were, whatever they were in their society, death would always hunt them down. But Christ has given us a victory where death has no hold on us. The grave has no power. Victory over sin. Victory in healing. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. There's no, oh, well, the healing's in the future somewhere. No, it's done. That's what that verse says. 1 Peter 24 says, 1 Peter 2 and 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. And another verse that stuck out at me, James 5 and 15 says this, And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, then they shall be forgiven him. I've heard so many times preachers say, you're not being healed because of your sin. It's funny, that verse says different. You see, if sin stopped the power of the Lord then not one of us could be saved. The only barrier we ever have to healing is to think that there's barriers to healing. Brother and sister, it's already been done. We have victory. What else did we get when our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross? Acts 1 and 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What does that word power mean? It says authority. That was a Christ-like authority. It was bestowed upon each and every one of us when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. John 14 and 12 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, this is a tough one, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. 
and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Listen to that. The works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works. Now, does that mean we can do greater works than what the Lord did by raising the dead and healing the sick? No, of course it doesn't. But what it means is that Jesus at that time was one person going about healing the sick and raising the dead. And this is the idea he's given. But then when he went, he says, I send my spirit. So what he's saying is, my spirit will move in you. My word starts to move in you. You start to change because you start to get that revelation of my word and who I am in you. Then you start doing them works also. And then it's not just one person. It's other people going out. And then it's other people all over the world. That's what he meant by the greater works. There's more and more people being filled with the power of God. And you see these things, you don't hear them anymore. Because nobody wants to know it. But it's true, the revelation of God is there for all of us. It's not for a man who's in a pulpit. It's there for everybody. It's for everybody, brother and sister. And what else did he give us? He gave us victory over the devil. John 12 and 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Look, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And, it, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he says, signifying what death he should die. In other words, he's saying, when I die, that's it. He's over. You go and enforce my will on the earth. Colossians 2 and 14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphant over them in it. You see, when you read that verse, when it says spoiling principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphant over them. Paul actually gives the idea there, in the original Greek, of a Roman emperor riding on the big white steed and they would have a possession uh, one of them oh flipping I've got to get my false teeth in hang on there would be a big row of people (laughs) going down the main street and there would be the emperor And he'd be on his white horse. But you see the country that he'd subdued. All the prisoners would be in front of him. Because he was the conqueror. And that's the idea this verse gives us. He triumphed over the devil. In other words, he made a show of him. He was the conqueror. That's the idea it gives him. I'll just give you one last verse. Ephesians chapter 1. 
verses 18, we'll read to 21. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believed according to the work of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Brother and sister, he was saying, you see the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the greatest, greatest manifest power of God ever, ever, was raising Jesus Christ from the dead. That resurrection power that broke all, all the dominion, that complete, gave us complete victory, his precious blood on the cross, that gave us victory over sin, it gave us spiritual victory, it gave us physical victory, it gave us a complete victory. He was saying, you see that power? That's the inheritance. That's for you. That same power is the power that drew you out of darkness into light. It was the resurrection power of Christ. And brother and sister, let me tell you something. It's in you and it's in me. Everything we need to walk in power has already been done. It's been done. That's why the Lord said, it is finished. It has been completed. Everything has been done. Brother and sister, we need a revelation of God's word like never before. We need that power again. We need the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need the revelation of what he has done for us. Badly. Badly. But brother and sister, let me tell you, it's all there. And each and every one of us